You know, one of the things that was really, to me, uh, what a great impact. All eight of those who were baptized uh, were raised in Christian homes and have been a part of the church for years, some for all their lives. And um, what a gift. What a gift to be able to celebrate that together with them. What a, what a great gift and reminder that we are able to partner together with the parents. Uh, you know, it's uh, with, all, I, I, with all of them, almost all of them, well, with all of them, really, they shared with, with me, you know, how their parents had played a role in their coming to know Christ. What a great thing it is. Uh, well, then I took a break for three weeks, and uh, during that time, I understand Pastor Kent wandered off from the assigned um, messages that he had, and uh, some of them were even looking in particular with was quite disappointed on um, uh, holy cooking for the whole family. But um, he's a renegade, and you know, it's hard to contain him sometimes. What can I say? He's a wild and crazy guy. Um, let's pray, and we're going to get into our passage for today. Father, thank you for the way in which you guide, the way in which you lead, the way in which you bring together um, people, circumstances, situations. It all blends together to make us into the folks you want us to be. Uh, we fight that sometimes. Uh, and sometimes we recognize it. And uh, Today I pray that you would help us as we, together as a body here, folks that you've brought together, and as you, we've heard from your word, as we're going to get into it even more now, that we would be very open to you, very open to your leading in our lives. Uh, use your word and your truth to help us see you and draw closer to you, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, if you want to turn there. Colossians chapter 1, page 1084 in the Pew Bible. Uh, we're going to uh, pick up there where we, we had made it all the way through verse 23. Um, not in one sitting. Um, you've heard me preach long enough that you know we weren't covering 23 verses in one sitting. So anyway, today we're going to pick up with verse 24, so drop down to verse 24. We're going to read, I'm going to read 24 through 29, and then we're going to um, stop, focus on them a little bit, but I, I'd encourage you to keep your Bible open, keep it you know handy there so that you can look back and see what it is we're referring to. Verse 24, he's Paul writing, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am uh, completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant according to God's administration that was given to me for you to make God's message fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Now, if you look at verse 24, there's a real disparity there. Notice what Paul says. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Rejoice in sufferings. Now, we have to admit that our normal response to suffering is not rejoicing. 
That is not our normal response to suffering. Whether it's physical suffering or emotional suffering, no matter what kind of suffering comes on us, you know, our normal response would not be this, would not be to rejoice. Now, we may certainly see some benefit after, you know, the suffering is done with. You know, sometimes we have seen that where, you know, after we go through something and we can say, well, you know, uh, it wasn't fun, but, you know, I, uh, it was good. I, you know, I, I, I kind of needed that. You know, but rejoicing in suffering—that is not the automatic response. That is not our, our default. At least, it's not for me. You know, we see suffering as bad. Rejoicing is good. You know, we'd much rather rejoice than than suffer. And we, we see those who rejoice in suffering as needing cognitive help. You know, we, we just that's just that's just not that that's not, not something you know not something normal there. Now, verse twenty four, it can be kind of confusing, even misleading if you take it out of context. You always need you always need to look at the Bible in in. Two contexts at least. You need to look at that verse in the immediate context of where it falls. What are the verses around it saying? What is the what is that the the book that it's written in saying? You need to look at that context. You need to look at the overall context of the Bible. And the Bible is is harmonious. The Bible doesn't contradict itself at all. And where you think it does, it's a misunderstanding on our part. You know, you need to dig a little deeper to see what it is that's going on. So as you're looking at it, you take it in context in, in that context. You also need to take it in context of the culture to which they were writing, because sometimes it's just going to go right by you, you know, and, and, and we won't we won't understand it. Uh, for example, one of the things I, I've told you about before, but in the context of the culture this verse really has meaning where it says that we are all we are all adopted as sons of god and that we all become sons of god now you know there's some translations then that say we all become children of god they missed it because they they totally ignore the cultural context in the cultural context uh, men sons were were privileged and the women were not. You can say, well, that's not right. Okay, that's not the question. The question is, if you're going to understand it according to the context, according to the cultural context, to say that we are all, men and women, we are all, that we are all sons of God, you see, was a huge statement that, that elevated women and, you know, and their position and their standing with God to something that they never thought could happen. So you need to take you need to take it in in the, you know the context of what the what the verses around it say what the book says what the Bible says and you need to understand a little bit of the cultural context there too uh, you know, so what we have going on here you know as as we're looking at it Paul is not saying here that the work of Christ is incomplete or insufficient. He is not saying that we need to add to the work of Christ. That's not what he's saying here. Now, I, I know that for many reasons. One, you know, is what Jesus was pretty clear when he said, you know, it, it is finished when he died on the cross. He died on the cross. You know, and one of the things he said was it's finished. He's declaring that everything needed for our salvation, everything that needed to be done in order for us to be saved was finished. There was nothing lacking. There was nothing missing. There was nothing that needed completion. In Hebrews chapter 7, it says, uh, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins and then for those of the people. He did this once for all. 
he offered himself. You see, once for all, he offered himself. You know, and all we need, all we need for salvation was done there on that cross. And we add nothing to what Christ has done. It isn't that, that, you know, that sacrifice of Christ got us close and then we'll work a little bit and, and get over the line. That's not it at all. That's not the picture at all. The picture is that he did what he, what he did. It was finished and he did it once for all. And he was also declaring that all we need to live right for him in this world is now finished. Peter says in his second letter, he says his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Well, if I only had, it has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You see, it, it, it's finished. He, we have everything we need is at our disposal. It doesn't mean that we get it. It doesn't, when I say get it, I don't mean receive it. I mean, it's not that we comprehend it. It's not that we, it's not that we, uh, you know, always, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not that we always exercise it properly. It's not that we always grasp a hold of it as we should. That's not it. It's there and it's available to us. All we need for life and godliness is available to us. You're not missing anything. You are not missing anything you need to succeed for Christ. You are not missing anything you need to live for him, except maybe the, you know, the gumption and the, and the willpower. Any, anything that he makes available to us. Now, in Paul's day, Jews and early Christians, they believed that God had a certain amount of suffering planned for us. That one of the things he, you know, that one of the things he did, you know, is he it gives everybody, you know, this lump of coal they have to carry with them. And, you know, that, that they have this certain amount of suffering that needs to be done. Now, what could be happening here in verse 24, Paul could be saying that he's contributing to this suffering that God intends for his people. You know, that he's, he's doing his part. You know, he's, it's his, it's his, you know, like penance that he needs to do, you know, to, you know, to get this done, to get this, you know, that we, here's something we need to do. Not because of anything we've done, but because God just dumps this on us, you know, and, it, you know, well, you know, while God, uh, can and certainly does use the suffering that comes into our lives. Um, I see nothing in Scripture that tells me that God has preordained a particular amount of suffering for us to complete. I see nothing in Scripture at all that tells us that God has a certain amount of suffering you need to go through. You know, he can and does use, you know, that suffering. And in fact, we can rejoice in the knowledge, you know, that God can use sufferings for good in our lives. That's something we can rejoice in. You know, know that, you know, when that suffering comes, he can use those sufferings for good in our lives. He often does use them for good in our lives. They are not, the sufferings are not beyond his power. Even though he, even though, you know, I, I think scripture is pretty clear. He has not said, well, you know, I, I know, you know, you, you, you've been pretty good, but you know what? You just got to have some of this suffering. You know, that's not what God's doing at all. God is for us. He's not against us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to love him. He wants us to be able to, 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 be able to rejoice in him. And, and he can use those sufferings that come into our life, not because, not, not because he thinks we need to suffer, but because he knows what we need to make us into the people that we should be. Romans 8.28, you know, this is a favorite verse of mine. This is a verse that I, I have seen in my life over and over and over again. You know, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are calling according to his purpose. 
How many things? All things. There's not a single thing there that God can't use. I've shared with you before that, um, you know, one of, the, one, of the, one of the ways this early on became apparent to me, um, I mean, I, don't think, I think all of you realize, you know, no, my dad left when I, when I was a kid. I was five years old, and he left the family, and, and um, you know, that was it. We, you know, I, he wasn't a part of my life anymore. God did not approve of, of my father leaving my mother for another woman. That was sin. That was wrong. It was sin all the way through. But I can tell you that God used that sin in my life in many ways. You know, part of it to bring me to him. Part of it, you know, in, in realizing, too, uh, a little bit more of the commitment I need to have to Jenny. You know, and the reality of, of, what it, of what it takes. He has used that over and over. All things work together for good. Nothing, nothing, God's not going to let anything go to waste when we turn it over to him. Uh, Peter says, uh, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for, Christ from the dead into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to struggle in various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You love him, though you have not seen him, and though not seeing him, now you believe in him. And rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, he's, he's told us you know, that you, you have to struggle sometimes. Even though you are struggling in various trials, you're receiving the goal of your faith. You are receiving. It, the, those trials are not stopping you from knowing God. Those trials are not stopping you from going deeper in God. Those trials are not stopping you and not keeping you from God. They can be pulling you deeper into God. They are not something there, you know, they are not something there to drive you away. They are something there that God can use for his glory and for your benefit. Romans chapter 5, he says, not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. There it is again, rejoicing in afflictions. You know, rejoicing in afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit was given us. We can rejoice in our afflictions knowing that God is not letting them go to waste. Jesus was perfectly clear that suffering will be a natural part of our life with him. You could really add this after the word life. Jesus was perfectly clear that suffering would be a natural part of our life. It's not just because we're Christians that affliction comes in. It's because we are breathing. It's because we have breath in us that affliction comes. Some we bring on ourselves. Certainly we bring some on ourselves. 
But that's not where it's all from. You know, he, Jesus said, you know, he says, I have told you these things. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will. That, that, there's, there it is. That promise, the, the promise of God that nobody wants to claim, you know. You will have suffering in this world. There's a promise of God that nobody wants to that nobody wants to claim. I got that one. Yeah. No. And you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I've overcome the world. Suffering is a reality of living in a world that is in rebellion against God. Suffering is simply it is simply a reality of living in this world that is in rebellion against God. And because of the rebellion against God, suffering is a, is very much a part of that. Ever since the sin back in the garden, the world is living in a state of consequence, often called the curse. Living in a state of consequence for what went on. In Genesis chapter 3, it says, He said to Adam, this is God speaking, He said to Adam, Because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. The ground is living. We are, we are now living in that time of consequence of this sin here. And the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles not two of my favorite things you know when i'm out when i'm out, out you know trying to clear stuff thorns and thistles not my they thorns and thistles for you and you will eat of the plants of the field you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it for you are dust and to dust you will return. And you see, this is, we are living, we are living right now in the time where the world is in a state of consequence of this sin. And we are still there. Paul refers to creation waiting to be released from this, you know, from this curse, waiting to be released from the consequence of sin. Romans chapter 8, he says, For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption. The redemption of our bodies. You see, we are living in this time. We are living in a time where the, wor where the world is in the consequence of sin. Much of the sickness, much of the, you know, the, the sin, the disease we experience is, it is the effect of living in a world you know, that is currently under the consequence of sin. We are living in a world that is currently under the consequence of sin. And so we have some, you know, we have these diseases. We have these, uh, you know, I mean, put, put anything you want in there for the disease, you know, physical diseases, mental diseases. And we have these things. We have these things because we are living in a time of consequence where the world is not in the perfection that he created, nor the perfection that he is taking us to. We are in that time in between where it is under the consequence of the sin, you know, from back in the garden and that consequence of sin, which affects the, 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 the land, which affects the ground, which affects, you know, our existence 
within it. And we are in that time, you know, and where it is, it's just another reality that we need a savior. It is just another reality and proof, you know, that reveals our need for a savior. We need to be delivered. We need to. This is not what God intended for us when he, during his creation. Now I rejoice in my suffering for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for your body, that is the church. You know, it's not the payment for our salvation that is incomplete, but rather, you know, rather a desire for the full experience of that salvation. That, you know, even man groans and we want that full experience of salvation because we live in a fallen world, you know, a world that is suffering the consequence of sin. You know, and now in the larger context of the Bible, as well as this immediate context here, it seems to me that Paul is is not saying Christ's afflictions were not enough and needed to be completed. You know, it's not that, you know, Christ didn't finish the job and now we have to finish a job. That is not the picture here. When I look at the context of the Bible and even this immediate context here, you know, I, I see it's rather the experience and, and the understanding of Christ's affliction needed to be completed in his people, needed to be completed in, in the church. Look at what he goes on to say, verse 25. I have become its servant according to God's administration that was given to me for you to make God's message fully known. I think what needs completion is the understanding of God's people, of all that is ours in Christ. The completion that, that you know, we are not, we are, we are, are not earning our own salvation. It is this gift of God. You know, and, and as, as a servant of, of Christ Jesus here, you know, in service to the church, Paul realized he needed to make the gospel clear even through suffering. To make God's message fully known. The English Standard Version words verse this way. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. He wanted his sufferings to be according to God's administration, according to God's direction. I talked with a friend this week who had a medical emergency not too long ago, and um, he spent a very uncomfortable week pursuing a remedy. And I was talking to him about it, and as we were talking about his situation, uh, he said to me, he said, you know, I always feel that when something happens to me, uh, it is because God knows that somebody needs something. And I'm supposed to connect with them along the way. He had my attention when he said that. Because I knew what he had gone through. And it's, it's, it's all consuming. And he said, you know, and he told me, he said, I, I just feel when something happens to me, you know, that, that it's because, you know, God knows somebody needs something. And I'm supposed to connect with them. He said he doesn't always know what it is. He doesn't always know, you know, what the, you know, what the situation is. But he trusts that God is using his suffering in some way. Just that, that whole outlook just grabbed me. You know, I think that that's the picture we have here in these verses. 
I think that's the picture we have in these verses. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, I am, and I am completing in my flesh what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That is the church. I've become its servant according to God's administration that was given to me for you to make God's message fully known. Have you ever thought of your life, have you ever thought of your situation, even your suffering, as part of your service to God in order to help others know him more fully? Have you ever thought about that? That your suffering is part of your service to God in order to help others know him more fully? Grasp him in ways they couldn't have otherwise. I don't think anything in my life is outside of my living for God. That doesn't mean I always get it in the midst of it. But I don't think there is a thing in my life that is outside of my living for God. And that's the way it should be for us as God's people. Realize all of your life, even your pain, even your pain can help others know God more fully. All of your life. Those struggles, those those pain, the things that you're going through, God can use those to help others know him more fully than they ever would have beforehand. What my friend told me, did he get other, you know, did he connect with other people along the way? I don't know, but he sure connected with me when I talked to him about it. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I am completing in my flesh what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. I have become its servant according to God's administration that was given to me for you to make God's message fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, now revealed to his saints and sometimes through our suffering. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of his mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. This is a description of what it means to be a Christian. This is a description of what it means to have a relationship with God, of what it means to have faith. I recently came across a definition of faith that I think captures the true reality of what uh, God meant when he called us to a faith relationship with him. It's in, it's, it's in the reading that uh, Pastor Kent and Sarah and Ginny and I are, are doing together. Um, you know, it, it, he said, you know, the, the, uh, Paul David Tripp, uh, we're going through a devotional by Paul David Tripp. Um, and one of the things he said, faith in God is more than believing the right things. You see, faith is living the right way because you believe the right things. Faith isn't just some mental exercise. It is not just a mental exercise. You know, it, 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 faith is living the right way because you believe the right things. Faith is always something you live out. So I've told you before. Everyone, every single person alive lives by faith. They are either living by faith that there is a God and he's involved with our lives. Or they're living by faith that there is no God. 
Everyone is everyone is doing this. The question is, what is it? What is it that we're living out? You know, what is it that we're living out? It is always something you live out. If you if your if your faith in Christ isn't shaping your life, then it's not true faith. It's merely your hobby. And that is a dangerous place. If your faith in Christ is not shaping your life, then it is merely your hobby. Something you do when it feels good. Something you do when it feels right. And that is not what it should be. That is not what faith in Christ is. What you're doing is you're living out a different faith in something else. If the faith, if, if your faith in Christ is not shaping your life. Real faith informs and transforms the way you live. Always. In every situation. There is no situation in your life in which you are not living out your faith. The question is, what faith are you living out you are responding according to your beliefs last two verses for today verse 28 29 we proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in christ i labor for this striving with his strength that works powerfully in me We proclaim him. We proclaim Christ, not ourselves, not how good we are. We proclaim what a marvelous Savior he is. We proclaim Christ and what a Savior he is. This is what we should be proclaiming. You know, we need to be careful with our teaching. We need to be careful with our teaching and our warning. Notice what he says here. You know, we proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Now, we need to be very careful with that because too often, too often our goal is to get others to behave as we think they should. Too often that's our goal. Our goal is to get them to behave as we think they should. And that should not be the goal. Now, you know, we may be correct that their behavior needs to change, you know, but a change in their behavior should not be our goal. Our goal is not their change in behavior. Our goal should be their soul, their eternity, their relationship with Christ, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That our goal is not to change their behavior. Our goal is that they would be drawn closer to Christ. Our goal is that they would be drawn deeper into a relationship with Christ. Our goal is that they will come to know Him. Our goal is that if they know Him, they will come to know Him better. Our goal is that because our time spent with them, that they will be moved closer to Christ. That should be our goal here. So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That is what we should labor and strive for. That is what we should be doing. Helping people draw closer to Christ. Yes, sometimes that involves correcting someone, not berating them, not belittling them. 
He doesn't call us to berate people. He doesn't call us to belittle them at all. That is not what we're called to do. Teaching them, helping them to do better. You know, that we may, we may help them to be mature in Christ. Warning, teaching them with all wisdom, helping them to do better, helping them to be better. Not just helping them to see what a miserable wretch they are. Not just helping them to see how irritating they have, irritated they have made us with them. But helping us to, you know, to, to, for, to, for them to grow in Christ. Christ, you know, to do better. One of the things in all of this, we need to pull it out, you know, is to realize, you know, in, in every situation, everywhere you are, Christ is with you. He is with you. He is helping you. He is guiding you. He is enabling you to live and follow him. He is there available to you. You are not on your own in any of it. Look what he says. Two phrases in verse 27 and 29. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 29. Striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. You see, we are not on our own. He is with us. He wants us to grow. He wants us to go deeper with him. He wants us to be able to help others, you know, to be help others, warning them, teaching them to do what? To be fully mature in Christ. He is with us always. You are not alone. You are never left to your own strength and efforts. Now, you may ignore him and, you know, try to do it on your own. But he is always there and available to you to help you, to guide you, to strengthen you, to direct you, to encourage you, to calm you, to motivate you. He is always there for us. Now back up. Look at this whole passage. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body, that is the church. I've become its servant according to God's administration that was given to me for you to make God's message fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. We are often distracted. We are often consumed by our pain, by our situation. Last Sunday... I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and something was wrong. I knew it. It just, and it got worse over the next couple of hours. And while you guys were here, uh, Jenny and I were at Lutheran. I was uncomfortable. Um... Some of my organs were um, fighting each other and making it difficult for other ones to work properly. Uh, while I was waiting to be seen, uh, we overheard a man He was trying to arrange care for his wife. 
was next to him in a wheelchair. And she's dying. But he wanted her to find some relief. And he's desperately trying to get her help. Um, We prayed for him. My triage nurse was on the abrupt side. Uh, She seemed uncaring about the pain I was in. And um, but I still treated her with kindness and with respect. Because God calls me to do that. She may have been having a rough day. I don't know. I was back in the emergency room Monday night because of complications, what they had, what they had put in place, and uh, things on Sunday were just causing a few more issues. We were put in a room that had been divided into, it was originally one room, it had been divided into six rooms with curtains simply because they needed to see more people, you know, and needed to get more people in there. There was an elderly woman across from me who had fallen and split her head open, and she was um, in agony. And she was confused about a lot of things, and we prayed for her. In conversation with my nurse on Monday, she told us a little about herself. And in that conversation, she told us uh, through things that were going on in her lives, her boyfriend um, wanted her to move in with him. And she said, I told him, not unless we're married. It's not going to happen unless we're married. And so she put aside that fancy wedding and she and her boyfriend uh, flew to Las Vegas and got married and came together then as a family to be able to take care of the situation. We told her how we thought she had taken a good stand, you know, a stand that wasn't that isn't popular in this world today. This world would not condemn her for living together with her boyfriend outside of marriage. In conversation uh, with our doctor, instead of just, he was, you know, in and out a few times. And then this last time he came in and he started talking to us. And the conversation just took a little bit of a turn. And he, and he came and he sat down on a, on a bin next to Ginny. Um, we talked about more than my condition. You know, we told him that we really appreciated uh, his care for me and the, uh, you know, and what he had shared with us, some of the things he had told us. Not one single time in those two visits. On Monday, we were there for nine and a half hours. Not one time did I stand up on my bed and preach the gospel. Not once. But through both of those visits, I behaved as a follower of Christ, even while I was in pain. Did God answer our prayer? 
You know, for this man and his wife, we saw Sunday morning. Uh, did God answer our prayers for Sharon? That was the older woman who was confused. Did he grant those caring for her extra grace and patience? Did my nurse on Sunday need someone to be nice to her? You know, did my nurse on Monday need encouragement to continue making good choices? Did my doctor simply need to know he was appreciated? I don't know. But I do know. God has called me to follow him even through the pain, even through the discomfort. We don't know how or when God wants to use us, but we do know we need to follow God and we need to live for God, even through the pain, even through the heartache, even through those difficult times. God can use any suffering for good in our lives. It's a natural part of life. It is a natural part of living for everyone, Christian and non-Christian alike. Your life, the way you live your life, can help others know God more fully. Because faith is living right because you believe the right things. Not because it's convenient. Not because it's profitable. But you live right because you believe the right things. And we proclaim Christ and what a Savior He is. And in every situation, in all you do, in everything you go through, Christ is with you. You are not alone. Follow God and live for God, even through the pain. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a gracious God. That you are a God who is bigger than anything we go through. A God who is bigger than our pain. A God who is bigger than our challenges. A God who can use those for our good and for your glory. We don't always get this right. We struggle with it. Remind us of your love. Remind us of your grace. Remind us of your presence. Remind us of your completeness. So that we can live more complete in you. And so that we can help others to become fully mature in Christ. I thank you for those who have done that for me and in my life. And may I be a witness for you to that same end. For Christ's glory. We pray in his name. Amen.